it has been a little while since we've had a chance to get together, talk story. Um, this is the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast, where I'm joined today exclusively by Mike Krepka. Our, our uh, th- third amigo is dealing with life issues uh, and for the first time is unable to join us. Bums me out a little bit. But Mike, you and I go way back. I'm sure that we will uh, soldier on without John being here. Yeah, Josh, great to be here. Thanks for uh, putting this together tonight. And uh, we definitely miss John, but... Uh, John's uh John's building the house. He's doing some important things in life. So, should we do the thing where like we we give John's takes every now and again over the course of the podcast recording? We're like, and John, like that. Uh, like we don't have to use that voice. We can we can right. Yeah, voice. we definitely don't want to use. <laughs> we definitely don't want to use that voice. How much does he edit out if we do it that way though? Right, right, right. Maybe <laughs> we can maybe we can make him sound like Eeyore, like just the the sad guy <laughs> in the corner because he can't be here. There we go. All right. We'll see how much he leaves in. We'll see. Otherwise, right. this is not going to make any sense uh, because it'll be like, oh, we're going to do the John voice. And then later on, people are like, well, where's the John voice? Right. Um, so, so I just want to start out apologizing to all seven of our listeners. Um, we have missed doing this. I'm sure um, the seven of you have missed listening to us. It has been a whirlwind uh, time for, for all of us, uh, you know, moving new houses, moving new areas, uh, a lot of, you know, professional things going on. Uh, today was actually the first day I've had a computer set up in a month and a half and it felt good. felt good to get the rig up and going, but, but funny story about this. I don't know if you remember, um, remember the big blackout that Cleveland had like 10 years ago where they were out of power for like three or four days. Like the entire Northeastern seaboard was out. I I vaguely remember it, but from afar. Uh, most Clevelanders probably have a good memory of it because I know like some absolutely wild ish went down because you didn't have power for three days. It was essentially the modern equivalent of the purge. Like people were just running around in masks, or at least I assume they were like crazy stuff was happening. In the streets. Uh, I remember just, it was midsummer in Cleveland. And so there was a lot of like building fires in the backyard and drinking beer, you know, huge air quotes before it goes bad. Um, going to the grocery store and clearing them out of ice cream. Um, even though they had generators and you, there was always going to be more ice cream. Um, but it was a nice preview of what, you know, what it would be like if we didn't have power for a couple days. It was, it was fun. Uh, so last night I, I set up the rig. I hear something rattling around in my computer and I turn to the side and the power goes off in my house. And I was like, Oh crap. Like that metal thing in the computer must've landed on the board, shorted it out. And, uh, like I tripped a breaker in the house. So I come out and, uh, and the wife is like, I smell something weird and the, uh, the outlet is sparking. And I was like, oh God, me screwing with this computer in this room is going to set my entire house on fire and we're all going to be homeless. Um, <laughs> so I go and I, I, I try and trip the breaker and then all of a sudden like the whole power to the house goes out. So before it was just a breaker that was off, wiring circuit that was out. Now the whole house is out. And I'm like, oh God, like I did something to the wiring in the house and it's all screwed up. And I looked outside and the whole street is out. And I'm like, oh God, me screw with the computer turned off power to the entire neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, like, of course, like you have idiot thoughts in, the, in those moments. And I remembered back to that power outage in Cleveland because the same thing happened. My brother had plugged a fan into the wall and that's when the power went off. And I was like, Oh God, <laughs> that fan killed this house and the whole street. And I was like, it's the second time in my life, you know, like a consumer electronics device killed, killed power <laughs> to the entire neighborhood. It's taking out the whole Eastern seaboard grid. Yeah, that was pretty great. It was a running joke for like years. I was like, oh man, like Gabe took out power to the entire Easter Seaboard with that fan. What a, what a move. Uh, <laughs> we're, up and run- we're sort of up and running here. Like I'm using my Apple headphones because I can't find the transceiver for the headphone. Like I'm, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening, but we are, we have a Frankenstein setup. We are recording. Um, this is the time of year to screw it up. Like we're all in training. We've all had one too many donuts, too many beers. It's time to get back on the treadmill 
you know, hit the weight room, get back into season shape. Like I'm glad that, uh, you know, this is spring training in the off season and we can gradually work back into podcasting shape. Absolutely, man. It feels good to be here. It does. It does. And this whole off season has felt dramatically different than, than previous uh, years. We talked about it a little bit before kicking off the show, but it's nice to not have an off season hanging over your head. And I didn't realize how badly I needed a positive notes off season until we're having one. And I'm like, this is the best. This is what other NFL teams get to do in the off season when you're like, how do we make the team better? But I'm not worried about, you know, somebody running a stupid system. I'm not worried about Greg Williams camping his free safety out in the middle of Lake Erie. I'm not worried about trying to figure out who in front of us is going to take the one quarterback that like is still flawed, but like might fall to us at four or five, like so many off seasons of dread. Like that's what I want to call like, you said, what is it, 13 out of 15 years we were in a situation where we were thinking about, like, should we be looking at quarterbacks or we were desperate for a quarterback? Yeah, something like that I read this morning. It, I mean, it's been astronomical, right? Every year we go in looking for a quarterback, and the absence of that is just totally refreshed. My, my excitement for the offseason, to your point, I, I, it's, it feels weird that I'm not worried about – know what type of stupid hire we're going to make or what type of mistake we're going to make or Mm. um, any of that type of stuff that has typically hung over our heads and and made the offseason unbearable really to any to 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 much extent but this year is any rational fan it's it's unbearable to any fan who's not an idiot like we are right well and we've been going through it for so long right it's just it almost seems like this is what you're supposed to do you're supposed to have a (laughs) terrible offseason and be full of like fright yeah Scared, but no, it's it's obviously different. That's what having a quarterback does for your team, and um, yeah, well, I think we're all relishing in it. So yeah, it's exciting. yeah, I'm I'm absolutely loving it. It's we- it's a weird feeling. Like I'll check out for a couple days and come back and be like, "What do you mean? There's no scandals? What do you mean? Like nobody in the front office is groping somebody, or like you know somebody's being indicted for you know massive trucker for like it's been a it's actually kind of nice. Like with the craft scandal, which is awful, and isn't even Horrible. like. Yeah, we don't even get to make jokes about it because it's an awful human being situation. But, like, right. I can't even relish in other teams being screwed up. It's just a chill offseason, and it's lovely yep. and it's wonderful. And, honestly, like, there's things that I want to see happen in Berea. There's things that I want to see them do. And I have every confidence that this group is going to do them because they haven't yet done those, like, series of stupid things that makes me believe that they can't do that. Like, like today's uh, signing of Greg Robinson is a good example. I never, I never once – thought that they were going to go into the season without an, uh, an established left tackle. Whether that is Robinson, who was mostly average adequate for the entire second half of the season. Uh, our man Ryan Burns put up a good point that, like, Baker Mayfield got touched a total of nine times over the second half of the season. And, and whether that's Greg Robinson or whether that's a really good interior, or good scheme, either way, the offense worked and clicked with him in there. You feel good about that. I never once felt like – the option was going to be worse than Greg Robinson. When Joe Thomas left last year, I was like, here we go. We're going to get yeah. something. We're going to get somebody or something stupid in here. And sure enough, we got Desmond Harrison. And like, I get the whole shtick with Desmond Harrison and why people fell in love with it. But going from a pro bowl, all pro first battle at a hall of fame left tackle to a complete unknown who missed all of training camp, taking your week one snaps was ridiculous it was like you know like in whatever measure you want to look at it like that was a ridiculous concept and if he had played well amazing like you got lucky but that shouldn't have been your process to get to a place where he was starting in the first place so at no point 
coming back to Greg Robinson, did I think that they were going to do worse than that? I thought that option A was Greg Robinson. Option B was getting somebody through trade or free agency that was that level or better. Or, you know, investing a, a like knowing you were going to go into the draft, investing your first or second round pick in, in uh, a left tackle. And now you have the luxury to not have to. Yeah, now you can let the draft come to you, as they say, uh, and you also have to really rely on uh, Coach Campen to develop our offensive line. I mean, look what he did in, in Green Bay. Exactly. I made a point about that on Twitter this morning. I mean, he, he's going to take whoever we get, even if we get somebody in the fourth or fifth round, and he's going to develop those players if he sticks around here for a couple of years. And that's something that, you know, although – Wiley is a great personality and all that good stuff. He, he wasn't a very good coach. So we, yeah. you know, we will stand to improve our offensive line just by having coach camp in here. And yeah. I mean, there, there's some players that I wouldn't mind us sniffing around even in the first or second round, but you know, with Greg Robinson having this one year, he comes in, I think you made a point about this. He comes in, he does really awesome. Okay. Then, you know, we validated what we thought we saw last year. And then now you want a big payday. Yeah. We can give it to you now because again, we have that validation, but this is kind of like a, a rental and it's a, it's a good move for the team going into the 2019 season or tw- yeah, 2019 season. Yeah. In, in, in our cyber friendly terms that we tend to use here, it is an incredibly low risk uh, signing because either way your bases are covered. Either Greg Robinson gets better. He improves on his 2018 campaign and becomes an above average left tackle, which is hard to find. And you give him some money and he sticks around for a couple of years. He's only going to be what? 27 next off season. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so so I then your bases are covered, or he turns back into a pumpkin, and you eject him into space, and you, and you either play the kid you drafted or you address it and draft next year. I'm grateful that the Browns don't feel cornered into using a first round pick on a left tackle unless there's somebody that blows him away. Because and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. This is a incredible class at certain positions, and one of those positions is not offensive tackle. There are some ta- there are some talented kids out there that we both really like, um, but. In that first round, you really want to leave your options open, uh, specifically for if uh, the defensive line class manages to uh, fall to where we think it might. Yeah, and and actually, I, I don't mean to be a contrarian, but I sort of will. I mean, the offensive line class isn't as deep as the defensive line class, but as I've read more and uncovered more and watched more, it certainly has a lot more prospects than you might think, especially guys that are going to be available at a value that, again, with our current situation – you can develop those guys. So it just gives you a lot of flexibility going into the season. Like you said, not, not needing, not that, you know, that's a want, not a need. That's a, a huge, a huge difference going into the draft. Yeah. And if you guys want the notes, I, I got to put in a plug here for Mike's Twitter handle, uh, Brown's Hawaii Hui. Um, go find this guy on Twitter. Look at his breakdowns. He regularly talks about prospects. Like you said, he does the research. He uncovers a lot of guys that you may not have heard of. He'll get you ready for the draft. Go check out his, uh, his his videos. We'll be talking about him here. We'll do some draft breakdown videos, but um, the, the, the tape is there. The receipts are there on the Twitter timeline. Uh, go check out Mike's stuff. He's great about uh, prepping for prospects. He's one of my top five or six guys in this market, along with Jake Burns and Brown's Daily Mock Draft. Um, as guys who really know their stuff, heading into every draft. Um, I feel especially strongly about that. I don't know if you saw, but I was I was dragging my own record on quarterbacks yesterday, and I was just like. Mm-hmm. I used to think that I was a guru for this kind of stuff, but over the last two years, Mike spent hours and hours trying to talk the Twitter universe into understanding how good Patrick Mahomes was. And then last year was the same thing with Baker Mayfield. So this is a dude who knows his stuff. Go check out his craft. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, Josh. And you know what, though? It's funny is 
we all have our misses, man. I mean, it's not like I, I've, you know, I'm infallible. We, we've talked about the Johnny Manziel uh, pick that I really liked, right? But yeah, he obviously didn't pan out. <clears throat> Uh, I did have an affinity for for Zach Mettenberger at, at, at a point in time. <laughs> yeah, which... I've, I've dragged you for both of those extensively. But you know, yeah. I used to be able to say like, "Yeah, Mike, you were dumb because you like those two guys." And in those in that draft, I liked a guy like Derek Carr or Teddy Bridgewater. And then in retrospect, like those guys might not be anything either. I, I still hold a candle for both of them. I still watch them eagerly to see are they able to take that next jump. But you know, it's it's a mixed bag on both of those guys. And I thought we we're going to be head and shoulders better than the guys you liked. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. It's, you know, I think as long as you have a process and I talked to Jake about this on Twitter the other day, as long as you have a process and you're trying to improve it and you don't think you have all the answers, I think that's the best approach to take to anybody who's just trying to, you know, be a draft analyst or whatever it is. You just have to continue to get better and and learn. And um, anyways, yeah. What I've always thought is a, um, a positive quality for quarterbacks is the ability to look like an NFL quarterback when you played in college, meaning like function from a muddy pocket, move around in the pocket. But I didn't really place a high premium on the kind of scrambling and escapability that both Mahomes and Baker have and the ability to throw from like a a bunch of weird angles and platforms. I said, you know, in the NFL, the guys who are really good out there aren't throwing outside of Aaron Rodgers. They're not throwing from a bunch of weird arm angles on the run, scrambling around. Um, But the truth is, is that in today's NFL with the quality of offensive line play and the way the rules are set up, those things are enormous benefits to a quarterback. You can't hit these guys as they're out running around. Really, those things that I thought were either negligible or like kind of negatives in Mahomes, throwing off his back foot, throwing uh, you know, with his body moving towards the sideline. If you gotta look at the accuracy, you gotta look at the raw numbers, you gotta look at where they're putting the ball yeah. ball placement. And that's you know, that's an adjustment to my process as I evaluate these guys. But it's you know what's really nice is not having to evaluate any of those guys this year. Like I'm just taking a break. I'm not doing yeah thousands and thousands of words on dogs by nature about the quarterback prospects going this year, because to be honest, they're not that great. I really like Haskins a lot. And I think that he's going to be good if he falls into the right system, but the class isn't that great. And I just, it's nice to take a break. It's not going to make or break the Browns based on whether or not they find a quarterback. And that's the first time since the return, you've been able to definitively say that. Yeah, man. I I, spent so much time talking about quarterbacks, digesting quarterbacks, building how I want to look at quarterbacks. And to be honest, I haven't looked at a single quarterback this, this draft. I I don't care how good Kyler Murray may or may not be. I don't care about Haskins. I I don't, I, I, we've got Baker and I'm, I'm focused on what else can we do to build the team in that regard. So yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of team building um, a bunch of very relevant NFL dates open up here uh, starting next week. Uh, March 5th, official tampering period begins, which basically we all know is the start of NFL free agency. Uh, kind of snuck up on us. I can't believe it's already almost March. Um, and then the following week, uh, or six days later, the 11th, uh, will feature the official start of free agency. But at that point, you know, a significant amount of the contracts are already, you know, written in pencil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're already figured out. So, so I'm very excited for that. This is a really good year for free agency. Um, obviously there are some positions that you just can't address adequately. Like offensive tackles are really hard to find. Quarterbacks are hard to find, you know, premium defensive line edge rushers are often hard to find. This year is a little bit of an exception to that. There are some guys out there, but I'm excited to get into NFL free agency because there's a lot of great names out there. Um, who is, if, if there's one guy, like I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if there's one guy that should he be able to get away from his current team, uh, who would you want to bring in? Grady Jarrett. Oof. We talked a lot about Grady Jarrett. I don't really 
I don't understand how he was able to, and I guess like some of it is that he was a little bit uh, of a slow developer. Like he didn't immediately bust on the scene uh, like Gerald McCoy did or some of these other guys that, that really were solid, nasty defensive tackles. But I'm, I'm, incre- I'm just completely flabbergasted that it's gotten this far, that he's gotten this close to entering free agency. Right. Excuse me. I'm not sure if he'll actually make it there per se, but I mean, he, he definitely has my attention. Um, as that first off the tongue type of guy, mm-hmm. I saw um, some some discussion this morning about Anthony Barr. He's kind of been on my list as well. Marquise yeah. Flowers, um, and then I guess really there's the other guy that I fell in love with back in my very first year of scouting was Sheldon Richardson. Take mm-hmm. away his off the field type of stuff, but um, I mean his talent is is pretty immense, and I. I it's going to go a long way towards determining again our approach in the draft if we are able to to, to bring in you know a couple big name guys whether it's at the defensive line or the edge or wherever it's going to impact what we do in the draft. For the same reason that I really like the idea of Greg Robinson being here, I really really desperately want the Browns to add one or two names to that defensive line because I want them to be able to go into this draft and especially on day day two with all those third mm-hmm. round picks and that second second round pick. I want them to be able to address their linebacking core. What made Steve Wilkes so capable in Carolina was the linebackers that he had down there. I mean, that defense was nasty, but he was able to run blitzes uh, from all types of spots and angles and not worry about his linebackers getting lost in coverage or uh, problems in tackling. Like if he, and he blitzed more than just about anybody in the league. Um, but he knew that um, should a guy get out to the edges, get out in space, that it wouldn't turn into a 25, 30 yard gain. And that was the problem with the Browns is that, um, they sent a lot of pressure, and if the pressure didn't get home, that was going to be a big gainer because you just didn't have the instincts and the closing speed uh, and the, the fill that, that Wilkes had in, in Carolina. And this isn't a, dre- a deep draft class – or excuse me, this isn't a deep free agent class uh, for linebackers. It is an immensely deep class for defensive linemen. Uh, just a couple right. names. Most of these guys will not get to free agency, but it's Marcus Lawrence, Jadevian Clowney, Trey Flowers, who you mentioned, uh, Grady Jarrett, Frank Clark. Names go on and on. Brandon Graham, Preston Smith, who I know uh, we all loved coming out of the draft and, and, and with the presence that he had at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith, yep. Um, these well, are good. Oh. Get out of my head, dude. <laughs> we said it at the same time. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zadarius Smith is a guy that, like, you just feel belongs in the NFL North or the AFC, the AFC North, and, and he's going to fa- land with one of the teams there. Um, just because he plays a style that you know all these guys uh, want to have yep. in house, yep. so I, I'd love to see them get one of those guys, especially an interior guy, so that you shore up that position opposite. Um, Ogunjobi, Larry Ogunjobi. Thank you. That's the kind of offseason that we're at. Is I was just like <laughs> Larry uh, Bizarro, uh, last name. Um, yeah, Larry Ogunjobi, who's been great, but needs a, needs a presence next to him, and also needs depth. Like he can't be playing the kind of snaps that he played earlier this year. A lot of that was coaching staff playing for their gigs, um, and you likely don't have to worry about that anymore. It's uh, going to be interesting, too, if we're going to try – I mean, just so you know, I know we were talking before the show about the draft a little bit, and, I mean, this this linebacking core for, for this draft is not that good. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to have to either make do with what we have, which yeah. I mean, we do have some, some serviceable players that can definitely get the job done, but if mm-hmm. we're looking for a major upgrade – unless we're looking to make it in you know round one, um, we're not going to – I mean, we may get some guys that come in. If we, t- if we take a guy in the second or third round that can come in and, and surprise us, but I don't really expect the talent outside of 
the, the top couple rounds for the linebacker position to really be, uh, you know, come in and make an impact type of, you know, yeah. fix the situation now type of guys. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's a position that they address kind of like they did cornerback last year where Dorsey looked at it and said, we know we need a large influx of talent. I'm not happy with this group. And he just brought in everyone he could. Maybe that's a situation like that. Nobody believes that um, Jamie Collins is going to break camp with his team. Um, right. And, may, and maybe the, the draft and free agency outcomes change that a little bit. But at the, the cap figure that he's at and how easy it is to get out from underneath that contract, I think that I, I, think that I and most people believe that he'll be moving on. Um, maybe they bring in a bunch of not busts, but guys that uh, never lived up to their draft state guys that, um, you know, are looking for that big second chance and, and try and plug and see who, who sticks there. Uh, and you hope you find the Brashard Perriman of the defense. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be yeah. interesting to see how this plays out for yeah. sure. And, and maybe they throw just an absolute boatload of money at CJ Mosley. If he makes it free agency, who knows there, there are options out there. It is not a good year to be needing one, but Again, this is a team that is uh, chock full of both draft capital and uh, cap space. So we'll as long see. as Ma- Manti Teo doesn't make it over here, we we get catfished. That's all I do. <laughs> I don't I don't want that situation. No. Did he get better? I feel like he got better for the Chargers. I think he did, yeah. think he did a little bit. I mean, not significantly, but for all the hype that was coming out, and then yeah, it, it, he hasn't really lived up to that. Let's just say he was a Notre Dame guy, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So, so he was, he was basically the first Notre Dame guy that didn't live up to expectations. All those guys turned into like enormous NFL studs um, based on what I've seen. So that, if, in case you couldn't hear over the mic, that is my, my voice dripping with sarcasm there. Um, I, I do want to wish a uh, fair, fair winds of following seas to a guy who's been a favorite of the, this Believe land is your land podcast, Andrew Barry. Um, we loved Andrew Barry being added as part of this front office group for all intents and purposes. Um, he, he's been much beloved in the building. He survived a regime change, maybe maybe multiple regime changes. I think that he's a guy that eventually could have worked his way up into a more senior position, a, a GM position, or a, you know, a, you know, an executive VPP. But we know that with Wolf and Highsmith here, that that way forward for him is kind of blocked unless Dorsey moves very quickly into more of a CEO role, and they need uh, multiple guys uh, at the higher executive level. So. He moved for a slight promotion with the Eagles. Uh, couldn't think of a worse fan base to be gifted a uh, a treat like Andrew Barry, but but we love him and we wish him well. Yeah, it's it's uh, <clears throat> it's kind of sad to see him go. That's for sure. I mean, I, I was wondering as the, the the changes with the you know the coaching hire and and all this stuff kind of transpired. There were talks about him kind of being insulated under um, De Podesta and. You know, we obviously knew Wolf was there and Highsmith was there. So, you know, he kind of was in a situation where there wasn't, you know, there was really a glass ceiling. He, you know, he yeah. wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. So I think this move makes a lot of sense for him. He's an up-and-comer in the NFL. I tweeted about this this morning as well. Most of his work in Cleveland is probably done for the year. So he kind of leaves us in a good position. He can yeah. kind of get over to Philadelphia, turn the page, and start to get ready for the 2020 season there and, and you know, the scouting that is going to have to take place. So just a, a really good, smart, bright offensive uh, or just football mind, really, in, in general. And so, yeah, look, just, you know, looking forward to see what he does and wish him well. And, yeah, that fan base is a little scary, man. Be, be <laughs> Question for you. Was Andrew Barry the guy that was arguing with uh, John Dorsey on Hard Knocks about the age of Des Bryant? Was that Barry? Or was that just an unnamed staffer? I think it was Barry. Is that 
Um, yeah, I think it was. I think he was the one that, that brought the que- the interesting question to the table that in that episode, yes. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, he's 29. And he was like, well, he's actually 30 when the season starts. Like, <laughs> But uh, that's right. what we'll always remember Barry for was the uh, the Des Bryant uh, slow your roll train when everyone in the building was like, whoa, Des Bryant. And then uh, Andrew Barry was like, why don't you guys look at this list of names that is that will be far more productive wide receivers. And without looking right. at that list of names, we know that Andrew Barry was right. We know that every name on that list was a better NFL wide receiver in 2019 than Des Bryant. So speaking of wide receivers, that is a position that has, has, has gotten a lot of churn mm. on, on the social media circles just because of uh, the differences in perception of how much wide receivers matter. Um, we saw great production out of a unlikely group of people this year. Uh, Richard Higgins, Rashad Perriman. Um, I'm really hoping that they bring Higgins back at a at, at a re- respectable rate. All the reports have been that they're working on something and they're close and that that's going to happen. Um, but I know that should we get to draft season, um, that is one of the very interesting positions in this year's draft class. All in all, um, but it, I think that you've indicated that that wide receiver is intriguing for you in the draft um, this year, mm-hmm. but that it's not the most intriguing position. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about? what this draft scope looks like as a Cleveland Browns fan and what you expect to see play out um, with, with, with this year's draft. Yeah, no, it's, if I'm going to kind of bring it from a, um, a funnel, right. From a broad to, to narrow scope, I think the, the positions that are the most deep are probably uh, defensive tackle, um, offensive tackle slash, in, you know, just offensive line in general, I think is a pretty deep spot. Tight end is very deep. Wide receiver group is very deep. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's there's not as much depth from the from the edge uh, column, and I think that's something that the Browns need. So mm-hmm. I, I anticipate us possibly going after that type of, of talent uh, earlier than, than later, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the wide receiver position is definitely interesting to me. I, you know, I would really love to see Rashad Perryman stay here. I think his story is fascinating. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm definitely in his corner. I, again, he, he provided a spark to this team. Uh, even in a minimal market share, he made some big plays, uh, as did Higgins. I think Higgins is actually more more prone and, and more ready to step onto the scene and, and, and really produce with a bigger market share. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of the numbers are are pointing at that as well. That's been a really interesting thing to watch you argue with guys about on Twitter, too, is is a lot of guys just think that uh, Richard Higgins is average because his athletic testing numbers are more – of an average level. Like he doesn't jump off the page to you athletically. Um, right. And they view his production this year as being more product of playing with Baker and being replaceable. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I've, I've enjoyed watching you talk about market share. Do you want to you want to talk about that real quick when it comes to Higgins and, and, and what that means and how that matters? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think first of all, I want to point out that yeah, being able to separate and being physical and all those different things that people look for when they say, Oh, this guy's a freak. Those aren't always the most important things I should sure. say to, to, to get separation, right? It's, it's usually route running and it's usually, you know, understanding timing and being able to control your body in, in, in short spurts. And that's more, you know, three cone type things, right? Flexibility and change of direction. So that was something that um, Higgins excelled at in college was his route running. And you mm-hmm. can see it again here at the NFL and, just by going through and looking at uh, uh, next-gen stat data, you're able to piece together, you know, some some important parts of the equation for Higgins, and that is, again, he he separates with some of the 
the, the, the average separation he has is some of the best in the NFL. It's like the same as Devontae Adams and Odell Beckham and guys like that. So he, he's averaging like three yards of separation on, on his route. So that, that's a product of him being able to run the right route and, and knowing how to do it well. I love that NFL now keeps that as part of their like core stat database, next gen yes. stats for wide receivers, the like average degree of target uh, or average mm-hmm. depths of target and the yards of separation forever. Like those are stats that it used to be like safer metrics, like nerds that were collecting. And now like is, is part of the average fans lexicon. Like, Oh, this dude gets separation via another method because wide receivers either need that short area quickness from precise route running, or they need that burner speed. And the difference mm-hmm. for that is really apparent. And when you look at the degree of separation that Antonio Callaway gets as a short shifty change of direction burner and Richard Higgins, who is a more of a technician, and you could see like the results are the same. Both of them matter mm-hmm. at the NFL level. It's all just, you know, different ways of, of cracking an egg. Yeah. And, and absolutely. And then you look at the market share, right? So what I mean by that and what you, I think you're asking me to explain is you just look at, okay, this guy Higgins has X amount of catches and the team has Y total amount of catches. And so you look at, okay, well, what's his percentage, what's his market share. Yeah. So you look at Higgins and again, he had a very small market share, but his yards per reception, his separation, his touchdowns, um, all those averages are, are very high. So you figure again, if you get him more touches, that should continue because Again, that's where he's kind of ranking out when you look at the market share and you look yeah. at what he's able to do with what he has done, what he has received. So, yeah. um, and, in, and in games that they leaned on him a little bit more, they tended to be a little bit more efficient and productive on offense. You saw that over the second half of the season when they started distributing the targets that you saw earlier in the season forced into Jarvis Landry, when they redistributed those targets to guys like Rashard Higgins, like Rashad Perriman, uh, like Callaway, who were getting a greater degree of separation. Um, you are seeing greater outcomes. So yep. it's, it's nice to yep. see it's nice to see you preaching to the choir. But I don't think that you are horny in the draft for wide receivers the way you are defensive line guys. Am I am I off base? Uh, <laughs> for some reason, the uh, what's his face the, uh, the the purple the purple wrestler from Billy Madison came into mind when you said that. I'm, I'm <laughs> that <sure>. is correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I am, I do like some wide receivers, but yeah, defensive tackle is where I've been spending a good amount of my time uh, really trying to get to know the prospects. And for, for me, it, look, like anyone can look at, uh, you know, Q Williams and say, Jesus, man, this guy is elite. Like, yeah, and for me, it's like, okay, I'll look at him a couple times. We're never going to get him yeah. and I'm going to move on because I, I want to find guys that are going to actually be possible for the Browns to draft. Yeah. And, not, not only possible, but to be good values for us to draft. So, I mean, barring a trade, a trade situation or barring, you know, Ed Oliver falling to some massive extent to where he's available at 17. I mean, I know those guys are good, but I've been trying to focus on some of the guys that I think we can get in round three, round four. Um, and yeah, I've, I've got a laundry list of guys that we can talk about. Uh, I think the, the headliner for me has been uh, Kalen Saunders, Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably heard me. Yeah, my, my, my name changed to the Colin Express. Everybody, like I'm, I'm excited to hear you talk about it again. But we've all heard you goddamn talk about it. <laughs> you love yeah. this guy. You absolutely are into yes. it. Yeah, man. I mean, there's other guys that I like a lot too. Um, but I, you look at just his his size and the the way he moves for how big he is. The the fact that he can bend the edge as a 320 pound guy. Right. Um, he's he's nimble and. His change of direction, his explosion is there. He certainly has some technique he can clean up. Uh, but 
I, I feel that is going to come with good coaching in the NFL and being paired up next to Larry and Miles. And you look left and you look right, and you've got guys that are going to teach you how to use your hands the right way, teach you how you know the right technique. And it's not going to be um, year three like what's his face from Hard Knocks. Uh, oh man. Oh, uh, Orchard. It was. It was. Yeah, Orchard. Orchard right. That was like, wait, you mean I set my feet like this when I'm a ro- right. when I'm rushing from this side? And you had like second year pro Miles right. Garrett being like, yeah, man, like that's that's what you do with yeah, your man. feet, and your hands, like right, I'm right. glad we reached this point, like in your last camp. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, you, you keep you know you teach Saunders some stuff with his hands and some some different um, uh, just some different you know counter moves, and I think he's going to be deadly with time. And yeah. I think people have been sleeping on him because of the school he goes to, but I, I think by the time the draft comes around, if you don't take him in the third round, he's going to be gone. Yeah, it's a little bit like the worst show on television, The Bachelor, in that there are a lot of beautiful, attractive mates for the Browns to pick here in the first round. Um, and they all have interesting stories, but I will say that the one thing that kind of binds them together is that you have a lot of like weirdly freakish athletes along that defensive line. And you mentioned Ed Oliver, he's a lot of the same way. Like you watch film on a guy, you're like, how does a you know, how does a dude this size? Oliver's what, like 280, 285? Like is he Something like that. He's a little smaller than a traditional nose tackle, but yeah, yeah. he's he's got hips like uh, the most fluid, loose defensive back you've ever seen. It's ridiculous. His hips remind me a little bit of Miles Garrett in that, like, you'll watch videos of him put a foot in the ground and turn on a dime, and you're just like, who? What Which, guy in that side? Degrees did you just turn? How did you? Yeah, do like, it? how did you get your bulk moving two different directions right. at once? That's wild. But um, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I hear you focusing on guys that are going to be available at 17. I'd be interested in guys like Williams is going in the top five picks. Um, right. Barring the unforeseen. Even, that would be the unforeseen is him even making it to five, like a, mm-hmm. a Leonard Williams kind of situation where just the, the needs push guys up in front. But um, I'm interested in the guys that are like low single digits that might creep into early teens and give the Browns an opportunity to jump up just a couple spots and get an, another elite guy to pair in there in the middle. After Saunders, who are the, the 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 who are the next two guys that just have you in a lather? Again, these aren't going to be your your first round guys, but mm-hmm. these guys are guys that I really like. Um, and the next guy is Michael Dogby from Temple. Okay, I'm not familiar. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Dogby is a very versatile. He can play three tech. He can play five tech. Uh, he's I, my guess. He's going to come in close to 300 pounds maybe a little bit over 300 pounds. He's a massive man, dude. He, I think he benched over 500 pounds or something nuts. He's extremely strong, extremely stout. Um, he's not going to give you the most bend. He's not going to give you the most burst, but he's going to suck up two blockers. He's going to, uh, again, give you that flexibility around, around the, the line where you can move him, um, which will fit, fit into to what Wilkes wants to do. And, he, he created more pressures internally last year than Charles o- Omenhua, whatever his name is from Texas, created on the edge. So yeah. he, he can get to the quarterback, create pressures. He's got de- decent market share from a sack. I think he's got like 15 or 16% of his team's market share in sacks. Mm. So again, he's, he's productive in the middle, and I think he's going to be a guy that you can get in the, the fourth or fifth round that, again, you, you teach him some, some more technique. You give him uh, a couple more counter moves, but his physical capabilities and physical ability is going to, again, be kind of a plug-and-play type of guy uh, for the Browns especially. And interesting to note, um, Michael and I actually have been uh, 
corresponding and, and he feels the Browns um, are interested in him and have showed him some interest. So that's just a little bit of a, a nugget there. I like that. I like, I like yeah. that kind of uh, insider trading information that you get on the Disbelieve Land is Your Land podcast. You don't hear that anywhere else. That's, that's exclusive. <laughs> That's right. I don't give that information away in any other podcast. Yeah, don't get, like your monthly donation of nine ninety nine gets you insights like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Just yeah, man. We're all we're all for free. But uh, but joking aside, that that is really cool, and I I love that in today's age you you get sniffs around that kind of thing. Um, yeah, man. Also, I think that um, a talent like that that you might be able to move in to play the zero or the one gives you the ability to rush Ogan Joby a little bit more. You let him freelance uh, using mm-hmm. his elite athleticism, and it might be a two for one where you're able to fill a gap with a better fit um, skill set wise yeah. and allow Ogajobi to really flourish in doing what he does well. Yeah. That's kind of what I've been focusing on is to the guys that can stack two blocks to free up Ogunjobi, free yeah. up Garrett, free up the other guys that we know are elite in that way. But these guys can also get to it. If you say, okay, well, we're going to go double team Larry now. Well, then you're going to put Michael or in this case, you know, Colin Saunders one-on-one, they're going to win. And that's the kind of guys I'm looking for. Uh, and I guess the third one to, to bring out the trifecta um, is the, uh, the TCU prospect, um, LJ Collier. LJ? I, I, I really like him. He, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah said he was a top 60 player. The which, Daniel Jeremiah, who is now like the NFL draft guy, yep. right? With Mayock on, yeah. he's, he's the guy. Yes. Yeah, that, that guy said, you know, he's a top 60, which surprised the hell out of me. I mean, I really like him. I, I figured that you could get him in, again, the third or fourth round in that in that range. Mm. Uh, but he, he does give you a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more bend um, than Michael does. But uh, I, I think Michael's, you know, more stout, and that's the, that's the difference, right? But LJ can still stack two blocks. Uh, he can still get around the edge. He can, he, he's pretty good. Um, in, in short area and short short spaces, closing out running backs, getting to the quarterback, spinning, you know, those types of counter moves. He has those. So just another player that has me intrigued uh, that I think would fit what, what we want to do here in Cleveland. Yeah, guys, I just want to jump in here real quick. This is John. Um, this is why if you look at my draft stuff, you'll see that, like, I really like guys like the Browns picking up a Gerald McCoy or picking up a really good interior defense tackle type who can really plug and play immediately and knows what he's doing. And that lets us develop these guys in the third and fourth round. Don't you agree, Mike? I'll take these calls offline. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, thanks, John. Gonna... Thanks, John. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that you, did, you chose not to jump in until now, but, like, that's really good insight. I really hope the Browns do look at a, a good defensive tackle in, in this year's uh, free agency draft class because there's a lot out there. Oh, man, I really hope he catches this edit. <laughs> He'll definitely catch this edit. There's no way the, the seven guys are, are going to hear any of that. But, um, no, I, I, I love that, that John and you both know your stuff when it comes to defensive linemen. So uh, I'm excited uh, when we have John on next week to, uh, to, to wrap up what his thoughts on that defensive line class is and see who uh, his favorites are. But I know from talking to him, uh, he really likes other positions. Like, he's not fixated on the defensive line class like you and I are, and like most of uh, uh, Brown's Twitter is, I'll be, I'll be interested to see who he views as being the, the premium guys there because I think that he wants to pick up one or two of those really premium free agent guys, the Brandon Grahams, the um, Gerald McCoys, then devote that asset somewhere else. And, and maybe uh, Kajuice, maybe Yandi uh, is less of a concern with him, with, with uh, um, Greg Robinson coming back to the pool, but I tend to doubt it. Um, so we're going to meet next week, at which point we should be entering right into that legal tampering period. At that point, we'll have a much clearer view 
of, of who's available for the Browns. And we'll also have a better idea of who the Browns have locked up internally amongst their own guys. Um, hopefully at this point next week, we're talking about a Higgins extension or a Randall extension. Or yeah. Both. Or a Randall extension or a um, Rashad Perryman extension. There's a lot of guys that um, we'd like to see stick around for a couple of years. Uh, hopefully we have some more clarity on that next week. Um, but we will be able to give you a little bit more of a, a free agency primer as we go into that. Mike, it's been real. I appreciate you ha- you uh, you joining me tonight. I know you got a, a lot of work that you still got to bang out that, that mm. I'm keeping you from, so I'm going to let you get back to that. And I got to get back to unpacking <clears throat> this uh, mountain of boxes that is about to fall on me. So, so I will see you on social media. And Browns fans, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, shoot us any questions you guys have. We, we love it. Um, we usually petition for them before the show. Um, this was more last minute than that. But if there's stuff that you want to see us talk about here or, or players you have interest in or strategy pieces that you'd like to see us completely screw up, um, hit us up. Right on, Josh. Thanks, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Take it easy. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys here again next week.